right, we're going to finish up tonight the growth track, and we're going to we're going to end with a membership covenant. Now, if you're not a member of the church and you want to be a member of the church, at the end of this message, we're going to have you raise your hand, and we're going to hand you one of these. And this is just a simple membership covenant, what it means to be a member, and you sign it, and then just bring them up here to the stage and just put them on the stage, and we'll gather them. And uh, so that's just as simple as that. You say, well, I feel like I'm giving my life away. No, you're not giving your life away. You're just letting us know you're here. Amen? Amen. So that'll happen at the end. And uh, how many of you are ready to get into talking about your testimony, how to share your testimony? Everybody's got one. Amen? Amen? Everybody's got testimony. And then our mission, uh, what it means to go on a mission. And then we're going to look at membership and finish. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you tonight for your blessing on these people who have gone through the membership uh, or through the growth track again, uh, many for the first time. The Lord, all the things that we have learned, we thank you for it. We pray your blessing on this final, uh, this final time in the growth track. And help us, Lord, to be ignited by the Spirit of God to get into the middle of the game and share our testimony. And we thank you for it. Now, church, would you just pray and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, if you don't have a manual, raise your hand because we have manuals tonight. If you don't have a manual, over there, there, there. Okay, guys. There we go. Keep your hands up and they will get it to you. And that's great. And then several over here. Okay, we need some more manual giver-outers. Okay, that's good. We need for this side. All right, thank you. To, uh, so have we got it? You're going to have to go out there and get the manuals? Okay. We never have gotten our act together here on Wednesday night with this. But hey, you, you love us anyway, right? All right. Now... We're starting on page 91, and let's just, we're looking at sharing our testimony. This last section that is um, bordered with brown, I wrote, adding to the growth track. And um, so I, I wrote this part about the testimony out of the crucible of my own experience, because I learned long ago, raise your hand if you need a manual. Raise your hand if you need a manual, okay? All right. Anybody need a pen? All right. Well, there's one who needs a pen. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, so I learned long ago that even, I didn't have to be a theologian. I didn't have to be a, a Bible scholar to give my testimony. Because what is a testimony? It's just you've seen something and you're going to tell about it. Or you've experienced something and you're going to tell about it. You're just giving, you know, if you went out of here tonight and you saw a car wreck, God forbid, what are you going to do when the police come? You're going to tell them what you saw. That's a testimony. You, you saw it. You're, you're, you're just giving a, a, a testimony of your own, um, what you saw. Now that, that's, so let's look at it. What the Bible says, and we're using another acronym, POWER. P-O-W-E-R, and I'll tell you what each letter stands for in just a moment. But what the Bible says about the power of your testimony. There's nothing stronger than a testimony. 
You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be... Now, again, let me say up front. There's lots of mistakes, uh, typos and stuff in this last section. So uh, I'm going to point some of them out. I apologize for this. Uh, You hold in your hand an original copy you ought to have me sign. (laughs) Because you got the original, full of typos, full of mistakes. And so here's the way this sentence ought to read. You don't have to be a theologian, comma, charismatic, comma, or brilliant, period. It is the easiest thing in the world to do. In this session, we're going to explore the ingredients that comprise a biblical testimony. All right, let's look at the definition. What is the definition of testimony? The Greek word is marturion. And it simply means witness, one who has seen something, who has witnessed something. You witness it, and so you give a testimony of what you've seen. Let me tell you about our world out there, everybody. They want to see what you say you saw. Okay? You're saying you've experienced Christ. All right? They want to see what you say you saw. So what do you do? You give a testimony. So a marturion, witness, one who has seen something. Acts 4.20, the disciples said, We cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. Preaching is different from a testimony. Preaching is objectively declaring truth. So on Sundays when I get up to preach, I'm I'm declaring truth. I'm declaring biblical truth. But a personal testimony springs from the speaker's personal experience. Your personal experience. That's what a testimony is. Now I want to give you five power truths that you need to know about your testimony. All right? And we're going to do the acronym now, starting with P. People will listen to a personal testimony. Have you ever noticed how many commercials are somebody giving a testimony about a product? Have you ever noticed that? Uh, if, you know, pay attention from now on. Now, I, I don't watch commercial TV. The, the commercials drive me insane. But I, I have noticed that more and more and more of them, it's somebody giving a personal testimony about the product. Because they know when it's a personal testimony, it's going to pull people in and make them believe in the product more than if you were just reading a script. Okay? It says in Acts 4.13, when they saw the complete assurance of Peter and John who were in their, in their view, uneducated and untrained men, they were staggered, recognizing them as men who had been with Jesus. All right? So it was not their eloquent preaching, but their testimony of being with Jesus that struck the Sanhedrin. Matthew fifteen thirty one says the result was that the people were astonished at seeing dumb men speak, crippled men healed, lame men walking about, and blind men having recovered their sight, and they praised the God of Israel. So what struck them? It was the testimonies of these people who had been healed. How many of you can say, I may not be a Bible scholar, but I've got a testimony of what Jesus did for me? Amen? Amen? I guarantee you, you wouldn't be here on a hot Wednesday night if that weren't true. Uh, And it is warm in here. One of our units are down. So you're, you're sacrificing especially tonight, but we're good. Amen. So people will listen to a personal testimony. Now we come to the O in power. Overcoming Satan is the result of a testimony. 
The Bible says they have defeated him because of the blood of the lamb and because what? Read it with me. Of their testimony. Then Acts 7.57 says, Then they mobbed him, putting their hands over their ears, drowning out his voice with their shouts. Why did they mob Stephen? Because he was giving his testimony. And they mobbed him. They couldn't take it. All right? So overcoming Satan. So people will listen to a personal testimony, the P. The O, overcoming Satan, is the result of a testimony. Then the W in power is when all else fails, share your testimony. It says in John 9, 25, I don't know whether he's a sinner. This is the guy who was born, who was, who was born blind and Jesus restored his sight to him. He didn't restore it, gave him his sight for the first time in his life. And he said, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. Now here comes his testimony. I was blind and now I can see. I was blind and now I can see. The young man was no preacher or theologian. But he had a testimony of the healing power of God. Amen? Amen. And how many of you can say, spiritually speaking, I was blind, but now I see? Amen? Amen? Now, we come to the E in power. Experience with God is the prerequisite for a personal testimony. Experience with God. The Gospels are not only a record book of what Jesus said and did, but of the disciples' testimony. That's what the book of Acts is. John 19.35 says, I saw all this myself and have given an accurate report so that you can also believe. I saw this myself. Testimony. Acts 4.20, we cannot stop telling about the wonderful things. Read the last part with me. We have seen and heard. All right? Testimony. Now, whatever God has done in your life is a material, is material for a testimony. Whatever God has done in your life is material for a testimony. So how many of you can say, I've got more than one thing I could talk about that Jesus did for me. All right. So whatever he's done, that's a testimony. And as soon as you start talking to somebody and saying, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. I was hooked on something. He set me free. I was lost, now I'm found. I had no idea what to do with my life, but when I gave my heart to Jesus, he showed me. He, he set me free. He filled me with his spirit. He gave me joy. I mean, we have all kinds of material for a testimony. So then finally, the R in power is rehearsing God's blessings on your life is the essence of a testimony. Rehearsing his blessings. I love this one in Psalms 41 to 3. I've memorized this one. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. This is David's testimony. And he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be astounded. They will put their trust in the Lord. Notice, he said, the result of my testimony is that many are going to put their faith in God. So here's what David is saying. He heard me. He lifted me. He set me on high. He steadied me. He gave to me. And because of what he's done for me, many put their faith in God. 
Folks, you've got a testimony. Now, as I'm going through this, I want you to think and ask yourself this question. How long has it been since you shared your testimony with somebody? How long has it been since you shared your testimony? How long? All right. All right. Very, very important. Think about it. Has it been a month? Has it been six months? Has it been 12 months? Has it been this week? Has it been many of you said today? Now, these five facts about a personal testimony prove that there is power in sharing it. Satan hates it when we give a testimony that gives glory to God. Satan hates it. So they called them in and ordered them bluntly not to speak or teach a single further word to anyone in the name of Jesus. In other words, quit talking about what Jesus did for you. That's what they hated. All right, the speaking they were doing was in the form of testimony. Now, there are two ways every believer is to share his testimony. Number one, we're to share our testimony verbally. goes without saying. What did Jesus tell the Gadarene demoniac? He said, go home to your own people, your own family and friends, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how kind he has been to you. Now, that's easy, isn't it? Go tell what he's done for you and how kind he's been to you. How many of you can do that? Amen? Amen. Now, the Bible teaches that unless somebody speaks, the lost will not be saved. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. But if they don't hear anything, they're not going to be cut to the heart. God is with us when we testify, and he will empower our testimony. Amen? Amen? Jesus said in Luke 21, but it will turn out for you for an, as an occasion. It will turn out for you as an occasion. Get rid of that for. It will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Amen. Amen. So, first way we share our testimony is verbally. Second way, we share our testimony by our works. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Now, we all know works won't get you into heaven. We're saved by grace through the finished work of Jesus. But works testify of Christ, and they bring glory to God. James said... I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds. Can we read that together? Because that's powerful. You read it with me again? I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds. In other words, you're saying you've got faith. Well, if you say you have faith, show me the result of that faith. Show me some outer proof of that faith. Show me some good works. What are you doing? James says, but I will show you my faith through my good deeds. Good works can include hospital visitations, taking a pie to a sick neighbor, mowing an elderly person's lawn. Just go do it in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. I mean, it's easy to do a good work. And then people say, well, why are you doing this? Well, I'm doing it because I just wanted to tell you that God loves you and I love you and he's touched my life. And that's a good work that gives glory to God. Amen? Amen. Now, uh, here's, so here's another question. How long since... 
we have thought to go to a neighbor, to a coworker, to a friend, say, I just want to give you this. Here, hand me that right there, Valerie, would you? Somebody did a good work for me tonight. I came into my office and I saw a sack sitting there and it was wrapped up real pretty and I opened it and it said, I saw this and I had to get this for you because it was you. And it said, caffeinate and teach. (laughs) All right, caffeinate and teach. So they did a good work for me, but I'm saved. All right. And I appreciate that, by the way, and that's going to be prominently displayed in my office because that is true. So, but a good work, you know, Christmas time, I get so many cookies. I get incredible. People make me cookies, these incredible, huge chocolate chip cookies. And I'm given popcorn, all kinds of things that if I ate all of it, you would roll me in here. Okay. So I have to give some of it away. So I went to a neighbor who I knew had, uh, had some physical issues. I took a bunch of this stuff over to a neighbor, my next door neighbor knocked on the door and they answered it. And I said, listen, um, I I just wanted to give you all this. And they know that I'm a pastor. And I said, I'm praying for you. And I want to just give this to you at Christmas time. I can't eat all of it. So, so God bless you. And Jesus loves you. And I gave it to them. Well, this woman opened up and began to talk to me about all the issues that she had been through, all the things she needed prayer about, all the pain that she had suffered. There was even an ambulance had to come up and take her away one night. So I, I took a cookie in the name of Jesus, but it opened the door. Amen. Okay, it just opened the door. And it was a good work. When you do it in the name of Jesus, it goes from a work to a good work. Amen? Amen? No, no, give me stuff. Keep, keep bringing the cookies on. I'll take the cookies. No, God forbid that you would stop. Don't stop. Because if, if I can't eat it all, somebody's going to get blessed in the name of Jesus. Amen? And I took them a big, big bucket of popcorn, too. I mean, I, I blessed these people. I knew they had a bunch of sons. And, and, oh, and by the way, I took the cookies. I left. And then I realized I had the popcorn, too. Big can of this incredible popcorn because people gave me a bunch and I took it over and knocked on the door. Everybody in there had one of those cookies in their hand and they were half gone. So they accepted in Jesus name what I gave them. Amen. All right. Now, based on Jesus words, we know that good works are visible to the casual observer. Jesus said that they may see your good works. Amen? Amen. Two, bring glory to God. Based on Jesus' words, good works bring glory to God. My true disciples produce much fruit. This brings great glory to my Father. Third, they point to the reality of God in our lives. And here we're going to talk about Tabitha. It says there was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor, and she died. And why were the people weeping in Acts chapter 9? Because they remembered her good works that she gave to them in Jesus' name. Okay? I preached that all must turn to God and prove they have changed by the good works they do. So as green grass testifies of a well-watered lawn, good works testify of a living faith. Amen? 
Now let's talk about three ingredients of a powerful testimony. Just like anything, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to give your testimony. Trust me, I've learned the hard way. Now here are some guidelines for an effective power testimony. One, an effective testimony gives general information about the past without dwelling on morbid details. Oh, I've heard some testimonies that made me wish they'd never given them. I mean, because of of the detail they went into. Paul's testimony before King Agrippa is a classic example of a testimony well given. He says in Acts 26.10, This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison. Now, he could have become much more explicit, couldn't he? He could have gone into how they screamed when they were put to death. He could have gone into how children cried when they were separated from their parents because Paul, as Saul, did all those things. There was details that nobody needed to hear. And he didn't go into morbid detail. He just gave the generalities. All right? So explicit, gory details can emotionally distract the listeners from hearing your main point, which is what Jesus did for you. That should be the main point of a testimony. The entrance of Jesus Christ into your life should be the central theme. Listen to what Paul said. He, he homes in quickly on the central theme of his testimony in Acts twenty six twelve. At midday, I saw a light from the sky, far brighter than the sun, blazing about me. And I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So now he's moving into Jesus talking to him out of heaven. And that becomes the focus of his testimony. Notice how the climax of Paul's testimony is the revelation of Jesus and how it changed him. Paul said, I stand here as a witness to high and low adding nothing to what the prophets and Moses said would come. And in all of that pointed to Jesus Christ. Now third, just like a good steak is salted and peppered to add to the flavor, a personal testimony should be seasoned with scripture. For the word of God is living and powerful. In light of these things, let's be willing to boldly declare what the Lord has done for us. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So when I'm giving a testimony, it's easy to slip in a verse like, um, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, all has become new. Or God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. We can all quote John 3, 16. But see, when when you salt and pepper your testimony with Scripture... That scripture has power. And so it it adds to the power of your testimony. So don't give morbid details. Let your testimony focus on what Jesus did for you and salt and pepper it with the word of God. Amen? Amen? Now I want to encourage all of you to think, now where can I go and to whom can I give my testimony? And go give a testimony. Talk to somebody. Hey, come to church with me. Have I told you what Jesus did for me? Or if they say, well, I'm not real religious. Well, I'm not either. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. And give your testimony. Again, let me ask, how many of you have a testimony? How many of you have a testimony? Amen. So a testimony is a terrible thing to waste. Amen. All right, let's talk about your mission now. You then. Uh, take out the next care to. 
you then go and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to, to observe all that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Now, what are the first words Jesus said? He said, go. I want you to say with me, go. Now, he wasn't just talking to the 12. He was talking to every believer. He said, go. Don't just sit there on the sidelines, but go. And as you go, make disciples. So let's talk about that. If you're going to go, then we want to encourage you to go on a mission. Now, many of our... How many are going now to Honduras? How many? We have 24 people going to Honduras with us in July. So that's a great example of what we really want to emphasize. We want every member of our church to go on a mission at least once. Go on a mission. Though the words mission or missionary are not in the Bible, their function is clearly implied. The American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language defines a missionary as this. One who is sent on a mission, especially one sent to do religious or charitable work in a territory or foreign country. And we have sent people to Africa, we have sent people to India, we have sent people to Haiti, uh, now we're sending people to Honduras. We want you to go on a mission trip. So a missionary, or one sent on a mission in Christ's name, is one sent to a people, nation, culture, or language foreign to their own. The Bible teaches that the missionary has a mission or purpose for his journey. So let's talk about the threefold purpose of the Great Commission. Number one, it is to disciple them. That's the purpose of anybody going on a mission trip, to disciple them. The Greek word is mathetes, and it means learner, or thought accompanied by endeavor. We get math. Do you see it in there, mathetes, math? We get math from this Greek word, mathetes, mathetes, and it just means a, a learner. So what is a disciple? It's a learner. Jesus' first purpose for the missionary was that he or she would make learners and doers out of new converts to Christianity. I'm so glad that when I got saved, seriously, I, I got saved and, and, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit in the middle of what was called the Jesus movement. And the Jesus movement was a movement of the Holy Spirit that just swept the United States of America in the late 60s and early 70s. And I, and I got caught up, right, caught up right into it. And, and so it was just natural to, to witness and to go on missions and to, to be a learner and to become a disciple. But that's not understood so much in the church anymore. And so we want to emphasize that right now. It's easy to see that evangelism is only the beginning of the missionary's job. Too often, well-meaning Christians win a soul to Christ and leave them where they found them with no training, which is what happened to me when I got saved in jail as a 16-year-old. Nobody followed up on me. God did, but nobody told me how to go to church, that I should read my Bible, that I should pray. Nobody told me any of that. This is why the local church is so important. It's the church's job to take new converts and make learners and doers out of them. People who know how to not only hear the word of God, but live it out. So important. Every week we have people come down to receive Christ in our church. 
uh, Sunday in the 1030 service, we had, I know at least four came down to receive Christ. One was a TCU student and uh, there were a few others. But now we give them immediately information to follow up with them. We get their name, their phone number, we follow up on them, we call them. Because we don't want to just get them saved and say, God bless you, have a great life. But we want to make them learners and doers. We want to disciple them. Amen? Now, the second purpose of the Great Commission is to baptize new believers. Baptize them. That is, new believers. Since water baptism has already been covered in this series, we're going to touch briefly on this subject. Jesus taught that we were to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's look at those. Page 96, the Father. Just in that blank, just put the Father. The Father. Matthew Henry writes this. It is into the name of the Father, believing him to be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Father. What happens when we get saved? What do we look up and say to him? Abba, Father. As our creator, preserver, and it should say, and benefactor. To whom, therefore, we resign ourselves to rule us as free agents by his law and as our chief good and highest end. He's our father. Can we just look up and say, Abba, Father? Aren't you glad he's your father? Amen? Amen. But then also, the son. So the next blank is the son. Being baptized in the son's name, we are taking Christ to be our savior and giving up ourselves to be taught, saved, And ruled by him. Amen? And then the Spirit. Next blank. The Spirit. The Holy Spirit being included signifies giving ourselves to his conduct and operation as our teacher, sanctifier, and guide. Amen. And this Sunday we're baptizing. And if you haven't been water baptized, you need to be baptized this Sunday. Say, well, Jeff, I'll pray about it. No, you shouldn't pray about it. Why do you need to pray about what Jesus already told you to do? You think he's going to tell you something different? Oh, yeah, you're praying. Well, I said that, that all my believers needed to be baptized, but you're an exception. He's not going to say that. So you don't need to pray about it. If you haven't been water baptized, you need to be water baptized. Say, well, I don't want to get into that water where the whole sanctuary sees me. Jesus walked up Golgotha's hill, naked and bleeding for you. Well, I don't want everybody to see me with my hair messed up and wet. Oh, come on. We've all been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Speaking of t-shirts, you'll get a t-shirt. We literally give you a (laughs) t-shirt. So if you haven't been water baptized, get water baptized. Amen. 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 What a beautiful picture to the new convert. God is your father. Christ is your prophet, priest, and king. And the Holy Spirit is your guide and comforter. Now, the third purpose of the Great Commission is to teach them to observe. Now, the Greek there for teach is didasko, didasko, and it means to give instruction. And the the word observe, teach them to observe, literally means to keep. Teach them to keep. Keep what? Well, the teachings of Jesus. The disciples could have been called the keeping ones because of the way they kept the teachings of Christ in their heart. Amen. 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 And folks, I'm going to tell you in our day where 
deception is absolutely rampant. There's deception everywhere. Deception, I've never seen so much deception. Uh, infiltrate the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if there was ever a day where we need to learn not just to hear, but to keep, to keep the teachings of Jesus. Hold them tight in our heart. The missionary not only teaches the new convert to learn and do, but also to keep the word in their heart. You know how strong that word is, keep? It's the same Greek word used of the guards who were posted outside Jesus' tomb. They were there to guard the tomb with their life. And that's how we're to guard his word in our hearts. So just get rid of way we're. That's how we're to guard his word in our hearts. Like a soldier guarding a treasure. Amen? Are you guarding his word in your heart? Amen. Now, why every Christian should go on at least one mission trip? Here's why. Because it was Jesus' pattern to go to people. Uh, Jesus didn't just sit around and wait for people to come to him. He went to them. All right? The first thing he did was he, uh, he went to them to seek them. So the first blank there, to seek them. Jesus always sought out those he wanted to save and use for his glory. And we know how this happened. He went along the seashore. And the Bible says that he saw two brothers, Simon and also called Peter and Andrew. They were out in a boat fishing with a net, for they were fishermen. And Jesus called out, come along with me and I will show you how to fish for the souls of men. And they left their nets at once and went with him. But notice, he sought them out first. And I want us as a church to get into our minds and into our hearts that we need to not only wait for God to set up divine encounters for us to witness, but also to go to somebody, to go to them. He said, go and make disciples. Seek them out. Go and seek people out. People that you know are in need. People that you know don't know Jesus. Seek them out. The Bible says that by his spirit, God sought sought out every one of us the same way. Because nobody can say Jesus is Lord and really mean it unless the Holy Spirit is helping him. So how many of you know he came to you? I mean, you didn't wake up one day with a brilliant idea to go seek God because you were dead in your sins and dead people don't seek things. Amen? You were dead in your sins. So he came to you and knocked on the door of your heart. He came to you. And so when the Holy Ghost is in us, as he is in every child of God, doesn't it make sense that he would cause us to be those who go and seek out others under the leadership of the Spirit? Jesus said, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it will go next, so it is with the Spirit. We don't know on whom he will next bestow this life from heaven. That's the operation of the Holy Spirit. But when you're filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit, you're the same way. He'll say, go talk to that person. Why don't you go up and say something to that person? See them sitting over there? Uh, Why don't you go say hello and strike up a conversation and witness to them? Because that's what the Holy Ghost is doing all the time anyway. Amen? Second, Jesus' pattern is to save. So first, he seeks, then he saves. 
Once Jesus approaches, he knocks on our heart with an offer of salvation. He summons us. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus said, I, the Messiah, have come to search for and then to save that which was lost. So there's the two words. He seeks them out and then he saves them. Third, Jesus' pattern is to show. So he seeks, he saves, and then he shows his power. That's his pattern. And that's the Holy Spirit's pattern, and that ought to be ours. He shows his power. Jesus took his disciples and began to teach them and to show them, what everybody? His power. He regularly performed miracles in front of them, displaying his victory and power over the enemy. Matthew 8, 16, that evening several demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. And when he spoke a single word, all the demons fled and all the sick were healed. He showed his power everywhere that he went. He said to the storm, quiet down. And the winds and the waves subsided and all was calm. And they were filled with awe and fear of him and said, not scad, but said to one another, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? Amen. He showed them his power. That was the question he wanted them to ask. Well, I'm glad you asked. So let me inform you. I'm actually God in flesh. Okay? The disciples' testimony of Jesus in the book of Acts was he went around doing good and healing all who were possessed by demons. Our point is he showed his power everywhere that he went. And finally, Jesus sends. The ultimate purpose of God in seeking, saving, and showing is to send those that you go and reach. Amen. Amen. Listen, any church where people are being saved ought to be a church that is also sending people back out. Amen. Amen. And we're doing that. We're we're sending a lot of people out. There's a lot of people going out into into different ministries. But that's the way it ought to be. We, we seek them, we get them saved, we introduce them to his power, and then we send them. And that's the whole purpose of a mission. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Later on, the Lord commissioned 70 other disciples and sent them off. Notice how Jesus was always sending, 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 sending. So I want you to say with me, I'm a sent one. You're not only a saved one and a sanctified one, but you're a sent one. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Good stuff. Page 98. Plead with the Lord. The verse at the top. Plead with the Lord of the harvest, Jesus said, to send out more laborers to help you. For the harvest is so plentiful and workers are few. Sending workers into the harvest is paramount on God's mind. And God's pattern has not changed with any of us. He sought us. He saved us. He showed us that he might send us. Amen. Amen. Well, that's good stuff. I could preach on that. That is so true. Most church, most church folks, though, here's the way it goes with them. Well, he sought me. Well, and yeah, he saved me. And yeah, he showed me. And it all stopped there. 
So you, so you become a pew warmer instead of one who is sent. But we've got to get to that last step. He did all those first three things so that he could send us into our neighborhoods, into our workplace, into a mission field. So these 24 people or so that are going to Honduras, I guarantee you they're going to come back totally changed by what they experience on the mission field. Here's the benefits of a mission trip. Later the 70 came back full of joy. Lord, they said, even the spirits obey us when we use your name. So the first benefit of a mission trip was joy. Joy was the first byproduct of a missions trip. The 70 were sent to several towns with the message of the gospel. And as they preached and saw, they experienced a joy they had never known. I love this verse. Yes, the liberal man shall be rich. By watering others, he waters himself. I can't tell you how often I go home. Well, virtually every, every time I speak. I'll feel the same way tonight. When I leave here, having watered you with the word of God, I'm going to be watered myself. Amen. Amen. I learned a long time ago. If you don't allow yourself to be sent, if you don't allow yourself to get into the game and minister in Jesus' name and get involved in good works to the kingdom of God, you're being gypped. You're being cheated. A huge slice of the Christian blessing. Amen? Amen. The reason so many Christians feel empty and dry is because they're not ministering to others. Now, the second benefit of a mission trip is signs and wonders. And that was a second byproduct of a missions trip. The disciples were amazed to see demons come out of tormented people in the name of Jesus. Jesus declared in the Great Commission, singular, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth Therefore, go. So, when we go, we're not going in our authority. We're going in his authority. Amen? Jeff Wickwire did not, and Kathy Wickwire, did not found this church on our authority or in our name. We did it in Jesus' name and in his authority. So, we were sent ones. I'm a sent one. That's what apostle means. Sent one. Don't call me an apostle. I don't want to be called an apostle. I've done apostolic work. But I'm not an apostle. I'm a pastor. But here's the deal. Apostle just means sent one. That's all that it means. I'm a sent one. But, but I want you to understand, so are you. We go in his authority. The definition of authority is exousia. And it means authority or power. The might and the right to do something. When, he, when is he with us? As we go. That's when he's with us. As we go in his name, that's when he's with us. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, next page. God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul. He was always going out to others. Even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and they didn't have to pay for the handkerchief. That's free. I'm just pointing that out. My skin crawls and it angers me. It angers me. It does. When these Looney Tunes go on TV and they want you to send money for a prayer cloth. Listen, 
That's a scam. Are you with me? It's a scam. Because did Jesus ever say to anybody, listen to me, did he ever say to anybody, oh, uh, 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 I see you're blind, sow some financial seed to me and I'll heal you. Did he ever say that, ever? And if you had tried to pay him, would he have taken it? You know he wouldn't have. So, so why are we asked to send money to get a, a prayer cloth or holy water or whatever it might be? It's a scam, folks. You don't have to pay for a blessing. Can I tell you that? You don't have to pay for a blessing. Let me, let me tell you this. The greatest blessings, some of the greatest blessings of my entire life happened when I was really young in the Lord and I didn't have two pennies to rub together. You know why God blessed me? Because I asked in Jesus' name. It was free. I I just want us to get out of this this really sad thing that has happened in the body of Christ where we have been taught, if you don't sow a seed, you're not going to get blessed. No. God will answer you if you don't have a dime. Come on, everybody. Well, Jeff, you're, you're, you're treading where, you're going where angels fear to tread. No, I'm not. Anybody who knows the Bible and is going to be honest will tell you this. You don't have to buy a blessing. Now, can you sow a seed? Sure you can. Sow seed here. We'll take it. But, but I'm never going to tell you, you're never going to receive God's blessing unless you do sow a seed. I'm not going to say that. Because we pray in Jesus' name and we get what we get in Jesus' name. Okay, I'm done. That's a little soapbox with me. It, it bugs me. Okay, moving on. Miracles were experienced by the disciples for their obedience. Now the last uh, blank there on that page, 99, God is a gracious rewarder giving back to his faithful servants many times over what they give to him. Amen. Now let's go to the next page and look at what it means to be a TPC member. The difference between, we're on page 100, the difference between attenders and members can be summed up in one word, commitment. There's a lot of people that attend here, but they're not committed here. They attend here, but they're not committed here. It's just where they attend. But if you're a member, you're committed. Now, at Turning Point Church, we recognize the need for a formal membership. We ask you to commit to membership for two reasons. One, a biblical reason. Christ is committed to the church. Well, if he's committed to us, can't we commit to his church? If he's committed to the church, can't we commit to the church? All right. Christ loved the church, and he gave his life for it. So there's a biblical reason. Then there's a cultural reason. It is an antidote to our society. We live in an age where very few want to be committed to anything. A job, a marriage, our country, anything. This attitude has even produced a generation of church shoppers and hoppers, and don't get me on that one. We call them cruise-matics. They cruise in, sit for a while, and then cruise out. They view church like a restaurant. We're going to eat at this restaurant for a while, and then when we're done with this food, we're going to go where the food's a little bit different, and we'll go to the next church. And there's never any commitment. There's never any commitment at all, or accountability, or anything. They just come and they go. Okay? Cruise-matics. Um, 
The Turning Point Church membership covenant is this. Having received Christ as my Lord and Savior and being in agreement with Turning Point Church's statement, strategy, and structure, I now feel led by the Holy Spirit to unite with the Turning Point Church family. In doing so, I commit myself to God and to other members to do the following. And let's cover these and we're done. One, I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love towards other members, by refusing to, what's that six-letter word? Gossip. And by following the leaders. Only as long as the leaders are following Christ. Okay? So let us not consecrate, but concentrate on the things which make for harmony and on the growth of our fellowship together, Paul wrote. Then he said, live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ toward each other. Um, Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what is helpful for, for building others up according to their needs. Now notice what he says in Hebrews 13.17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Period, capital T, they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be no advantage to you. Do you catch that? Now, this is not teaching blind obedience. We, you know, we read this and go, uh-oh, this is what cults do. No, obey your leaders as your leaders obey Christ. If your leaders are counseling you or leading you according to Christ, then there is to be a submission factor. Now, I've been a pastor for almost 35 years, and I want to tell you, when it comes to charismatic churches, for a big slice of the charismatic pie, this verse might as well not even exist. Might as well not even exist. Because there's no submission. There's no accountability. People will come in, sit under you for a while, and leave. There's no hello, there's no goodbye, there's no nothing. They just go from place to place, church to church, ministry to ministry. And this, this verse is meaningless to them. But I want you to notice what it says. The why that it gives. They keep watch over you as men who, what, must give an account. And that's one of the scariest verses in scripture for me. But look what it says. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. The King James says not with grief. Because when there, there is this attitude of, well, I'm not submitting to your authority and I don't respect your authority and I don't even know what authority is uh, and there's criticism and there's gossip and there's there's you know rejection of your counsel then it causes the pastoral ministry to be a grief and then he says that affects you because you got somebody getting up into the pulpit or you got elders or the whole leadership team uh uh, leading with hurt hearts. And so they're not going to be as effective as if they were full of joy. Amen? I'm just reading you what the Bible says. So to some people, this verse is completely out of their universe. But to others, it's very real. Now, number two, I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth, inviting the unchurched to attend, and warmly welcoming those who visit. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. To the church, we always thank God for you and pray for you constantly. 
Jesus said, go out in the country and urge anyone you find to come in. This, this is a picture of inviting people. So that my house will be partly full. Is that what it says? No. So that my house will be full. And Romans fifteen seven. So warmly, here's the greeters verse. Warmly welcome each other into the church. Just as Christ has warmly welcomed you. Then God will be glorified. So, number three. I serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve by my pastors, and by developing a servant's heart. Serve one another with the particular gifts that God has given each of you. Now let's go to number four. I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, by attending faithfully. I was amazed. It rained Sunday, and I know it really did rain. But do you know that we were down by 250 people? Because it rained? Uh oh, Mildred. I see a dark cloud way out there in the background. We better stay home. Listen, when you go on a mission trip to Haiti, these people get up before the sun rises and they walk miles through whatever weather it is. Just to get to church. They walk. Amen. They don't care what the weather is. But we American Christians, uh-oh, looks like rain. Or it's raining, uh-oh, better stay home. Do you get that I'm bleeding a little bit tonight? I look at that and I go, oh, come on. 250 people stayed home because it rained? Is the devil afraid of that level of commitment? Okay. I think I'm going to caffeinate and then teach a little bit more. No. So by living a godly life and by giving regularly. That's another thing. The tide was way down Sunday. So a whole lot of people stayed home. And, and a lot of them did not make it up. You know, we don't go on yesterday's giving. Amen. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will go. So anyway... Giving regularly. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together, but let us encourage one another. But whatever happens, make sure that your everyday life is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Each one of you, this is a great one, each one of you on the first day of each week should set aside a specific sum of money in proportion to what you have earned and use it for the offering. That's New Testament. Amen. 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 All right, now, how many of you would, would like one of these? I probably scared most of you off, but how many of you would like one of these, these membership covenant things here? There we go. Raise your hand and we'll get them to you. Amen. There's a lot of people all over the building. Amen. That's exciting. Raise your hands good and high and we'll get one to you. So, um, take that and, and you'll see that uh, it just covers what I just covered and sign it and date it, and we're going to stand in just a moment and sing a worship song, and you will be able to come and just put it on the stage. I think that'd be a neat thing to see everybody coming up and just dropping it on the stage. Amen? How many of you are glad you went through the growth track? Amen. Isn't it good? We know why we're here. We know where we're going, and we know how we're going to get there. And thank God he's adding people to our vision which we believe is his vision for our church. Amen? So fill those out and 
Are there any questions from anybody?